This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you don't know where Haggai is, find Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Go three books back into the Old Testament, and you will find the book of Haggai. And this morning, um, I want us to look at not the entirety of the book of Haggai. I'm not going to go into in-depth detail behind it, but there is a theme that we find in the book that God has clearly placed in front of the nation of Israel, as well as us as readers. Now, sometimes, you know, people will get to the, the, the minor prophets and they start reading through them after they've just read Ezekiel and they kind of just go, what? <laughs> I mean, you know, Jonah makes sense, but then the rest of them were just kind of like, um, and, and we're trying to place when they are and who they're talking to and there's various different groups. But with Haggai, it's very interesting book in that it's written during the time of the bondage of the nation of Israel. Uh, it says under King Darius. So now we've moved past the Assyrians. We've moved past the Babylonians. We've moved past into the Medo-Persian Empire. And, and, and we find that at this point in time, that there is still, uh, uh, there's still a man of God, still a prophet in the land that goes and speaks to the governor of Judah, speaks to the high priest that's still there, even though they don't have a temple. And he begins to speak to them in such a way that he wants them to understand a very important principle. The title of this message this morning is just be considerate. Be considerate. If there's one thing that I see in this world today is people are not considerate. They just, they, they, they don't uh, think about anyone else but themselves. And it's the product of humanistic teaching. It's the product of evolution teaching. It's the product of, of this me generation and, uh, um, what's mine is mine and, and, and stay away from uh, uh, it and, and, and this desire, if you will, to, to heap upon themselves selfishness. And, and we find that the nation of Israel has been kind of in the, some of the same similar circumstances before. We find that over in the book of Judges, God said they did that which was right in their own eyes. They didn't do the things that were godly. They didn't do the things that were according to what the law had said. They just began to make it up as they went along. But what we find here with the nation of Israel, we find nation of Israel's in bondage. We find that there is this national refusal of the things of God. And we'll get into this in just a moment. And God gives this very, if you will, emphatic plea for the nation to do essentially one thing. One thing. And that's kind of what the book of Haggai is about. We'll get to this in just a moment, but let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for our time and opportunity to be here. I thank you again for your word that you have given to us to instruct us and to guide us. And I pray this morning that as we look at this, that, Lord, we would follow after exactly what you have told the nation of Israel to do for us to consider. 
And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that your word would be very plain and evident uh, to us as your Holy Spirit uh, guides and directs us uh, through your through your word. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be soft and ready to receive from you. Thank you again, Lord, for just the the people that are being uh, that are able to be here today. And Lord, I pray for those that uh, were not able to be here. I pray that Lord, they would uh, just be. Um, healed up and be able to be back with us soon. And I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us, above all the salvation that we have through you, that brings us together, united through the blood of Christ as believers. And this morning, Lord, I pray that we would just lift you up in praise as we hear your words. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1, it says, In the second year of Darius, the king In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord to Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shethe, excuse me, uh, this guy. I'm having some issues with the tongue this morning. I don't know what's going on. Governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say... This time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. We find a very kind of, if you will, condemning statement right out of the gate where the Lord's like, you guys are walking around saying, now's not the time to focus on the things of God. They're in bondage and they're not wanting to focus on doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, obviously in that day, they had the temple And that's where God came and that's where God dwelt and that's where God interacted with men and women uh, throughout the Old Testament. We know that nowadays the temple of the Holy Ghost is, that's where we, that's who we are as a, as a body of believers, as the body of Christ, as, as, as what we do. But what we find here is that he's saying, look, you guys aren't even thinking about this. This is something that you just keep pushing off. So in the middle of their bondage, they're having this, if you will, well, refusal of the things of God. It's not a priority for them. It's not something that that, that is even entered their mind. They're just like, we're, we're just not, this is the thought process. Now is not the time. Now is not the time. And I dare say that, that there's a lot of push for this in this day and age. People will say, well... Now is not the time to try to go through revival. Now is not the time to try to, uh, 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 if you will, bring some some godly influence into politics. Now is not the time to necessarily do these things. I mean, you know, the, the mentality is is that church is is either on Sunday or church is uh, in your own head. That there isn't this this uh, specific time to do things for God. This is our life. This is my time. This is what I own, and I'm going to do this. Now, obviously, we know it says in 1 Corinthians 6. What? Know you not that you're uh, bought with a price? Your body is not your own? He redeemed you with his shed blood? You're purchased? He owns you. Not, if you will, in some sort of slave mentality, but he bought you so that you would have liberty. 
He bought you so that you would have freedom in Christ. And what we find today is we find that people are just kind of, if you will, refusing. And even in Christian circles, even in churches today, they're like, well, no, 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 I just don't have time for God. Now's not the time. God's response to his people is in verse 3. Is where he begins. He says, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, it is time for you. O ye to dwell, excuse me, is it, uh, is it time for you, O ye to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste? And he asks them. So, it's not time to focus on the house of God. It's not time to focus on that temple. It's not time to focus on the relationship with God. It's not time to engage in those activities. But it is time for you to have all these physical things and care more about that, care more about the physical restoration of Israel than it is to care about the spiritual restoration. He says, his house lies waste while everyone's house is, you know, that's immaculate. Their yards are mowed with their goats. They're all nice. All the stuff looks good. The paint is great. The stucco is wonderful. The beams are nice. You walk by the house of the Lord and it's still a heap. It's still a ruin. It's still a tragedy. And I tell you, in this day and age, there's a lot of that going on in people's personal lives. They're more concerned about the physical. They're more concerned about what's going on to and are going to happen to them uh, uh, than, than they are with their spiritual life. There's no time to serve the Lord. There's no time to read the Bible. There's no time to pray. There's no time to fellowship. There's no time to go to church. There's no time to sit down and do anything that is spiritually oriented. I just don't have time to do that. God understands. Does it sound like God understands? When he's asking and he's saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? I want you to keep that that question in, in, in mind throughout this because it seems to be exactly what God is asking his people. What are you doing? When we look at what he says here in this next part, we we, we see in verse 4, he, he uh, excuse me, Verse 5, he says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. He mentions it again in verse 7. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. And as I said this morning, the idea is, is are we considerate? Do what, what is it we consider? To consider something, you actually have to use a God-given brain. Now, praise the Lord, all of us here came and we are somewhat attentive and we're trying to pay attention. If not, I'll slap the pulpit a couple of times, get you awake. But but you understand, we're here, we've got a mind, amen? Our bodies may be failing around us, but praise the Lord, we still got a mind. Somewhat. (laughs) 
We may be getting discouraged upstairs. We may be getting, you know, saying that, that, that we've got to do a memory dump or something of that nature. But I will tell you this, we still got a mind. We still have a mind. And God's saying, what are you doing? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever considered this? What is it you're considering? This is the main thought of the book. He asks them simply, have you considered? What is it you're considering? I mean, you take a look here at what he says in verse 6. He says, you have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Well, what is he saying? He's saying, here you are doing all this stuff, all this work, all this labor, all these physical things. And he says, where's the profit? Where's your success? That success that he talked about over there when Joshua said, we're going into the land. We better make sure that we keep the word of the Lord. Otherwise, we're not going to have success. Otherwise, we're not going to be courageous. We're not going to have those things. But what we clearly find here is we find in this passage, in this specific passage, God is asking them, Have you considered that? Have you sat down and said, you know, I can do all of this, and it's just not adding up? We talk about that sometimes when it comes to household budgets. X comes in, X goes out. And we hope that there is a difference in our benefit. We hope it's in the block, you know, that we're actually making some money that we can put into savings or hold on to. Sometimes it's pay, pay, paycheck by chip, paycheck. Sometimes it's looking like, okay, well, how do I jostle, jostle these around and, and make sure and we seem to be operating in a deficit? And we look at that and we consider it and he's saying, look, you're operating in a spiritual deficit. You've got all this physical stuff. And when he's talking about this in verse 6, he's not necessarily talking about all the physical things. He's saying, look, You have little contact with me. You have little relationship with me. He's saying, you're not getting enough to physically, or excuse me, to spiritually eat. You're not being spiritually fed, so you're not going to spiritually grow. You're not being cleansed with the word of God. You're not being refreshed by the word of God, so you don't have a lot to drink. And he says, there's no warmth, there's no comfort, there's no hope, but yet you got physical clothes on. And he says right here, he says, and there's no spiritual profitability. Where's the glory of the Lord in what you do? And he asks them to do this. He says, I want you to consider some things. I want you to consider your ways. I want to turn over to to, to the book of 1 Samuel. Keep your place in Haggai. We'll be back there in a moment. But in 1 Samuel chapter 12, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, First Samuel chapter 12 and in verse 24, here's an issue with consideration. 
And what does it say? It says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he has done for you. Here they are completely devoid of service to God. Why are they devoid of service to God? There's no temple. They're not doing anything for the Lord. There's no place to go to. There's no place to do sacrifices. There's no place to do offerings. There's no place to, 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 to go and, and get things right with God. And there's no places to go and offer a, a, a peace offering or a thanksgiving offering or anything of that nature. It's just devoid of it. And what we find here is we find that the nation of Israel is not considering what God has already done for them. He tells them that they're supposed to do that in the book of Deuteronomy in multiple places. In chapter 4 and chapter 8, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, he says, look, you know, you're supposed to go back there and supposed to take a look at what uh, has happened with your forefathers. You're supposed to consider those things. You're supposed to consider what God has done for you in the past, what God is going to do for you. Uh, uh, moving forward, you're supposed to consider the Lord in everything that you do. You're supposed to fear Him and serve Him. And generally, when a person is not serving God, when a person is not doing anything for God, when a person has moved away from God in their relationship, it's because they are not considering how great a salvation they have. Let's just think about that just for one moment. If you did not have the salvation that the Lord provided you, you would be on your own to get to heaven. And that is a terrifying thought. Terrifying thought. God doesn't want any sin in heaven at all. He won't allow it. You show up at the doorstep with sin, you're quickly ushered away. God is holy and can't abide by that. But what we find, though, is we find that the nation of Israel, they fail to consider, because that's not what they're doing at that point in time in Haggai. But in Deuteronomy chapter 32, as he told them as they're getting ready to go in the land, in verse 7 here, (coughs) he says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, and we separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. He goes through and he begins to to go into, if you will, a, a lesson about what happened with Israel. And he says, I want you to go back. I want you to, to talk to those people that know. Now you gotta remember, those people that knew, most of them had passed away because of their unbelief. They didn't get to go in the land. This is the new generation. This is the next generation. And they've been wandering around for 40 years. Where, miraculously, their shoes never wore out and their clothes didn't age. So they came into the land the first time wearing bell-bottoms. They were wearing bell-bottoms when they came back. (laughs) They bring the same fashion statements back. But you understand what I'm saying is, is that God took care of them the whole time and they said, you need to go back, you need to rehearse this in the minds of the people. There's Joshua, there's Caleb, 
Caleb goes in there, he's 80-something years old, and he's still fighting, taking on giants. What do we find? We find that people often won't do this. They won't remember what God's done for them. They won't remember the salvation of the Lord. They won't remember how great it is to just realize you have a home in heaven that God has promised. In John 14, where he talks about a comforted heart, thinking about the Lord preparing for us a place. But what do we consider? Take a look at the uh, same chapter in Deuteronomy, but I want us to go over to to, uh, verse 29. Talking about this nation, and he says, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. Go back to Haggai and we begin to think about this. Do we consider things that way? Do we consider what the end result's going to be? We wake up in the morning and we begin to make decisions in our life, right? We make choices. We make judgments. We make judgment calls. We make decisions about what we think is best. And sometimes we err in those, don't we? Sometimes we get it right. And sometimes we call it luck. Please don't. Please don't. It's like coincidence. Luck is just some other God that you're attributing to something that is the Lord's. And when I think about this, and I think about God just, I mean, just calm. Wasn't a lot of harshness in his tone. He just says, have you considered why it seems like you really have nothing in this life? Have you considered why you've got that empty feeling? Have you considered why it just doesn't seem like you, you you really belong? Have you ever considered why it is the way that you are? You wake up in the morning and it just seems to be another day-to-day task and it's just oppressive. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. He asks this. He says, do, do you think about the latter end? Do you think about the latter end? You know, here he is. He's asking the nation of Israel in Haggai. He's like, just consider him. Consider God. Consider his work. Consider the cross as he talks about over in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 3. Consider that contradiction as he says. That here he is. He suffered and died that we would have forgiveness of sins. Do we consider the cross of Christ? Do we consider the resurrection? Do we consider the fact that he chose to come down in the flesh and die for my sins? Do I consider that in the decisions that I make on a day-to-day basis? Do I include God in it? Do I include God in my prioritization? Do I include God 
in what I say? Do I include God in what I think? Do I include God in the direction of my life and my path? For young people, that's pretty important. For young people, you have to consider what God has for you. And people are always asking, they are like, well, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. You know what the will of God for your life is? To please Him. To give Him honor, glory, and praise. Every individual has that as their, if you will, mandate of what the will of God is. The ways that it's accomplished is through thanksgiving, through obedience, through the exercise of faith, through the proclamation of grace, through love, through charity. All the things that we see in Scripture that he identifies as his will. But here he specifically is asking them this main thought, have you considered the way? What direction are you going, Israel? Because you look at what he says in verse 6, so back over there in Haggai, he says you're not making any progress. As a matter of fact, you seem to be going backwards. Do we consider the path of our Christian life? Do we consider our walk with Christ? Are we walking backwards? Are we sitting when we're supposed to be walking? Are we walking when we're supposed to be running? Are we going a different direction than what the Lord is going? Are we even on the same path? Can we identify Him as, uh, the, if you will, the pilot, the one that we're supposed to follow? Can we identify in any way, shape, or form that it's God's path? Are there certain road signs? Are there things along the way that show that specifically we're doing what God wants us to do? And do we consider the end of that way? He says, consider your ways. Where will that take you in life? Where will that take you? Where will that thought take you? Will it take me to this thought? Where does that thought take you? And 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 people will struggle with that. People don't use the God-given emotions that we have, such as sadness, and they immediately will take that and they will have the wrong thought with it because they didn't consider that it was necessary to draw them closer to God, and they begin to focus on it, and then they think on one thought, and it leads them to a next thought, leads them to the next thought, and they move from what would be a natural sadness and, and depression to something over here where it's despair and suicidal. At that point in time, there are a series of thoughts where God was not considered along the way. And it didn't begin over here with the thought of, where is that thought going to take me? Well, it's going to take me over here where I don't want to be. So what do I do? I bring that thought into captivity to eliminate this thought later on. God says we're supposed to bring every thought into captivity. Not just have this mind that's allowed to wander. No, our mind needs to be fixed upon God. It's to fear Him. It's to serve Him. We consider His works. 
You know, over there in Proverbs chapter 3, and it talks about how we are to acknowledge God. I want you to turn there and see that, Proverbs chapter 3. It's an important passage. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that is timeless. It is ageless. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter three, verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's where we get into trouble, isn't it? We stop trusting God and we start trusting ourselves. Yeah, you know what the problem with that is? Is we lie to ourselves and we deceive ourselves. We do that so frequently. That at some point in time, we just forget that we're lying to ourselves. You realize that the devil is continuing to lie to himself? He still thinks he's going to win. He still thinks he can beat and be God. You want to talk about the long-term, the long-term lie? He's bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. And he's the one that told it to himself. When we read the end of the Bible, we, we, speaking of the Lord of the Flies, <laughs> what that was about, fly you need to get saved there. Um, you know, we read the end of the book. He gets thrown into a lake of fire forever, forever. There's no rescue for him. There's no hope for him. You realize that Jesus Christ didn't die for him, but he died for you and me to save us from that lie. But it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean on in thine own understanding in all thy ways, in all thy ways. In all thy ways. I'll say it one more time. In all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. He's saying, do you consider me? He said, consider your ways. Have you done that? Have you acknowledged me? Are you trusting in me? Or are you trusting in something else like yourself? And the end result is, is he's trying to plead with the nation of Israel to just say, just take a moment and consider. Think about this. Think about this. You know, over there in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, it talks about walking circumspectly. And I, I bring this up a lot because it's an important aspect of the Christian life. If you're going to walk circumspectly, you know what that means? You're checking everything out. You're considering what's at the end of the road. You're considering what's behind you. You're considering what's on the right, what's on the left. Praise God, I got that right. <laughs> Being dyslexic. <laughs> You're considering where your feet are and how fast your feet are moving. You're considering what's above you and the conditions. You're considering everything that's around you. And this is exactly what we are supposed to be doing as Christians. If you're in a walk and you're walking circumspectly, then you're considering In every aspect, forward, backward, up, down, on the sides, everywhere, you are considering God. You're considering God. 
And it should be, it should be a condemning thought to our own heart and condemning of ourselves. Not me saying it or anything of this nature, but to think, when's the last time I considered God in my decision-making process? When's the last time that I said, Lord, I want to know exactly what you think? Lord, I want you to guide and direct. Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. Lord, I'm not going to trust myself. I asked that thought about what are we doing? And God looks at the nation of Israel and says, what are you doing? You ever have that happen? If you're a parent, at some point in time, you've walked in on your child going, what are you doing? (laughs) And and it could be a whole slew of whatever is there. And and my, my parents have done that. My parents have walked in one time and it's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this and this and this. And they're like, <laughs> not a good thing. So we look at it and we ask this question, what are we doing? If we're going to consider God, we have to ask these questions. These are important, these are important Christian walk, Christian life questions that we need to consider on a day-to-day basis. Number one, where am I going? Where am I going? Now, first and foremost, if you are saved, born again, child of God, you're trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you know you got a home in heaven. But I'm asking, where are you going in this life? Are you getting closer to God, or are you moving away from Him? Let's think about it. Where am I going? Where will this take me? Where will this thought take me? Where will this attitude take me? Where will this action? Where will this word? Where will it take me? Is it going to take me to a place that I don't want to be? Is it going to take me to a place that is going to cause heartache and problems and trouble later on? What direction am I heading? Are you heading towards God away from sin or are you heading towards sin and away from God? Are, 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 are we considering our up and our down? Are we trying to, if you will, draw closer to our Lord or are we just drawing closer to the gutter? We ask ourselves when we're, when it's this direction I'm heading, are we heading right, right or are we heading left? Oh, obviously we head right because we're conservative. Well, how about we head close to God? When he says, I don't want you turning to the right or I want turning to the left, I want you to draw near to me. Why? Because eventually when you start doing those that, that whole right-left thing, eventually what happens? They meet. The alt-right and the alt-left, you can't tell the difference. They're all hateful. They're all filled with anarchy. And they all want to kill each other. Welcome to politics in the United States of America. It's wrong. Are we heading to the direction of God? What direction am I heading? Am I near God? Am I getting closer to God? Or am I moving farther away? 
Am I moving forward? Am I moving backward in my Christian life? Am I regressing towards sin, backsliding towards sin? Or am I growing in Christ and the knowledge of Him and the knowledge of His will as He's called me to do every single day of my life with every decision I make? You realize growth is not something that's just going to wind up happening to you. Growth is going to come from the decisions that you make in a mature Christian walk. Because you know what the Word of God says, you know what the will of God is, and you want to please God and give Him glory for everything. You take your flesh and you cast it aside and say, God, it's yours. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart. I will love you with my all my soul, all my mind, all my might. Everything that I have, I will go after you. I will pursue you. You will be my purpose in life. Do we consider that? Like I said, the latter end over there that I referenced over in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 29, you know, we look at a map when we're going somewhere, hopefully. Do we consider whether or not where we're going is a dead end? Do we consider that it might be some place that might take us where we don't want to be? I remember when we first showed up to the Portland area. My folks didn't know anything about it. This was in about 1987. And they got really super excited because there was a Popeye's chicken over in northeast Portland. (laughs) I just want to put this in perspective. A bunch of white conservatives show up from Idaho and Spokane, and they move to Portland, and they head over to northeast Portland. It freaked my mom out. It did. We're sitting there waiting for, waiting for, uh, uh, the, um, the, the chicken. My dad's inside getting the chicken and, and me and my brother and my mom were sitting in the car and this guy walks by and he, he's, he's obviously having a bit of a mental issue that day and he walks by and he looks at the car and he's just like, like that. And my mom didn't know what to do and she was trying to lock the doors and she, she, puts the key in the ignition and, and starts again. And, and then it just freaks the guy out. And he's like, oh, and he runs away and mom's freaking out. And I was like, eh, welcome to Portland. <clears throat> Can't even imagine what somebody would think now when they moved to Portland. <sighs> Did you see what I'm saying? Where is it taking you? Do we consider the end that, are we going to make it to the end? Or are we going to make it to the end? And I want to be real serious with this one. When we consider our ways and we think about the direction that we're going, do we consider whether or not we're going to make it to the end? And what I mean by that is, are we going to stand in front of God and is He going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Because we pleased Him. Or is it going to be saved yet so as by fire? Are we going to be faithful to the end? 
Are we going to be true? And we live in a day and age where people are walking away from God left and right. We see young people doing it on a day-to-day basis. And I'll tell you, it breaks the heart of the church. Are we going to make it to the end? If we're the last one in the area, like Jeremiah, are we going to make it to the end? We're in the lion's den and there's nobody else there with us except some pretty hungry kitties. Are we going to make it to the end? If we have to give our life as a martyr for Christ like James did and was beheaded, will we make it to the end? Will our choices be for God? Will we consider Him in all our ways? The book of Haggai is an amazing thing to look at and to think about when we talk about that consideration. And we find over there in Haggai, and I want to turn to this last page or last part, go back to the book of Haggai. We, we, we find very clearly here that uh, they did what God had asked them to do. Talks about rebuilding it, talks about uh, considering. And, and they do exactly what God tells them to do. And we find in verse 12 of verse 1, or chapter 1, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shethiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him to the people, did, uh, excuse me, and the people did fear before the Lord. What did they do? They simply obeyed. He asked them to consider, and they considered it, and they went, oh, what have we done? And God started to be part of the consideration. And I want you to see something that's amazing. In verse 14, and if you've ever felt stagnant in your Christian life, I want to dare say this. Maybe it's because we haven't considered God. Verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. What else? The spirit of Joshua. And the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord, their host, their God. The Lord stirred them up. I don't know where you are in your Christian life. If you are in that period of uh, uh, where you're kind of feeling stagnant and something's not going on, maybe you need to start considering God a little bit more in what you do. Maybe you need to start considering God in every way, all your ways. Maybe, maybe it's time that we step back and consider what direction am I going? Where am I heading? What am I doing? Where am I going? God, what am I doing? What? Where? Help. Right? You start considering God, you're going to get stirred up. You consider His works and what He's done, you're going to get stirred up. You consider the salvation that He would save a wretch like me, you're going to get stirred up. 
You consider the works of what he's made, and this is in its fallen state. Fallen state. You're going to get stirred up. You consider what he did for Abraham, what he did for Isaac, what he did for Jacob, what he did for Israel, what he did for Moses, what he did for Joshua, what he did for Caleb, what he did for uh, Gideon, what he did for David, what he did for Solomon, what he did for uh, the, the apostles, what he did for Paul, what he did for us. You're going to get stirred up. There will be a stirring inside you. There is going to be something that's going to say, "I, you know what, now is the time for me to do something for my God. Now is the time for me to get stirred up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what it is? It's just a simple thought. Consider. Are we considerate? You think considerate is thinking about other other people, right? You consider it. You consider it when you merge onto I-5. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a challenge some days. <laughs> some days you're sitting there and you're like, you're doing the drag race. <laughs> Who's going to get there first? We think that's considerate. But before you start considering anyone else, before you start considering your neighbor, consider the Lord. Consider His words. Consider His works. Consider His will. Consider who He is. And you'll get stirred up. You'll get stirred up. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for the time that we have. Lord, I want to thank you again for what you've just simply put in a very small book, book of Haggai. Two chapters that talk about exactly what we need to consider. And Lord, how you blessed them so much in the second chapter. And what you did for them. And Lord, I just pray that we would just look at that and we would learn from it. Your Holy Spirit would teach us and give us that guidance and direction that we need. The Lord, we glorify you in everything that we do, that we would please you in everything that we do, that we would praise you in everything that you do for us, that, Lord, everything that we do would be solely directed for you. Not for us. Not for physical. Not for flesh. But, Lord, we would see and consider where we are going in our life. Are we heading on the path of pleasing you? Or are we heading down the path of sin and the pleasures of the for, for a season? And Lord, what is it we are looking for in our life? And it should be you. Seeking you diligently. Considering you in all our ways. Lord, again, I just thank you for a very simple message this morning. Lord, I pray that it would be true to our hearts as we ponder it, meditate, and consider it. And I ask and I pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.